0: Hey everyone, this is Harmon. Welcome to Comedy History 101. We are going to school you in comedy. Today we have a very special reprise of an episode on Dick Gregory from comedian to activist. Yes, Dick Gregory is one of the most influential comedians of all time. And you will find out exactly why also take some time to like subscribe and comment on comedy history 101 wherever you get your podcast it kind of helps us out and before we jump into the episode a few things to plug on June 11th 730 in New York City at the Asylum theater I will be running my show the muff a parody show of the moth you know the moth? Some people love it, some people hate it, but you know, it's filled with a lot of storytelling tropes that we satirize in our show, The Muff, a parody show of The Moth. Once again, on Friday, June 11th, 730 at the Asylum Theater in New York City. Tickets can be found on AsylumNYC.com. And now, without further ado...
1: Everybody social Good thing about doing comedy in Russia you have captured audience. You're stupid. Everybody so stupid.
0: Comedy History 101.
1: I also found out that comedy is the hardest job in the world today. People are so worried about world problems. Everybody likes to talk to the comedian. You know, in my traveling, if I could believe everything people told me, we wouldn't have a racial problem in this country because everybody i meet in the nightclub after they get drunk they all tell me the same thing greg some of my best friends are colored <laughs> and mike you know and i know it's not that many of us to go around because <laughs> i like them so well i had them for parents
0: so what you heard there was a clip of the late great dick gregory filmed in the early 60s at the Hungry Eye comedy club in san francisco and yes, you've tuned in to another episode of Comedy History 101, where we school you in comedy. I am Harmon Leon. With me is Scott Kalanico. Scott, how are you?
2: Coming at you straight out of Berlin, Harmon.
0: Straight out of Berlin. So when oh, you yeah. hear of Dick Gregory, uh, I think you think of equal parts comedian, equal parts activist. So Dick Gregory, bring you up to speed. Was not only a, a, a comedian, but also he, he was a civil rights activist, a vegetarian activist, a social critic, an author, and he came in at number 82 on Comedy Central's list of the 100 greatest stand-ups of all time. Scott, when you, when you hear of Dick Gregory... What, 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 what comes to mind?
2: The first thing that actually comes to my mind is his activism. I actually, uh, this is actually a good, because I knew who Dick Gregory was, of course. And then, you know, when we're doing research on this episode, I learned quite a bit more. Because I, I mostly knew him as an activist. And I mm-hmm. didn't realize he had, like, had such a, a huge impact uh, in the comedy world.
0: So the clip we just saw was from the early 60s. And Dick Gregory began his stand-up career in the late 50s. And I would say if you look back at the most influential comedians of all time, regardless of, you know, Comedy Central's list, everyone always turns to Lenny Bruce, which if you listen to Lenny Bruce today, I mean, do you go, okay, I want to hear some comedy, put on some Lenny Bruce? <laughs>
2: yeah, and, uh, <laughs> not, not really, not especially when especially when he's not reading his trial transcripts. But you Try, know, even, <laughs>
0: but even the other stuff, it's just like really kind of dated. And again, mostly you know, diving into this episode of Dick Gregory, and for better or for worse, his material is uh, still topical to this day because mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. he took it. You know, it was uh, African American comedians' take on racism and bigotry of the early '60s, which sadly is applicable. To the 2020s about three months ago
1: I worked up in Minneapolis Minnesota and everybody told me said Greg you love this state of Minnesota we have terrific civil rights laws and in this state you'd never know you're Negro and that's right but they pick on the Indian <laughs> which means to me if that Indian ever pack his bag and leave that state of Minnesota we better get on that next train out of that
0: this material is is you know very much in tune I think Lenny Bruce was more like he he broke that barrier of uh, free speech.
2: Yeah, he was more up at the the language barrier, and Dick Gregory was more about the color barrier. Yeah, but
0: still, his material, and again... But his material
2: holds up, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm trying to say, is like his material holds up where Lenny Bruce's material, even before he was insanely just reading court transcripts, is Mm -hmm. just very much dated in of the time
2: yeah he, he tends to ramble
0: but you said so you know of like dick gregory as an activist so before we do like our deep cut into the history of dick gregory what what, what activism uh did you uh previously know of dick gregory
2: I just I I knew he had run for president or had something to do with the elections in 68 and I just kind of knew that in passing but I learned a few things you know during the research for this episode uh, because I am a little bit of a uh, uh, conspiracy buff shall we put it Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the people that Dick Gregory were hanging out with uh, a lot of people that Dick Gregory hung out with uh, were all very familiar to me
0: yeah so uh let's you know we could jump around on the this episode who were some of the people that he he hung out with uh which are just you know kind of monumental names in history
2: um just even like the people he hung out with in general
0: well he was friends with martin Mm -hmm. luther king jr Mm -hmm. Uh, he was friends with uh malcolm x Uh, he marched in selma
2: yeah oh yeah he got he he got a he he took a boat there no was that there Oh, I think maybe it was at Riot. It was in Watts.
0: Oh, it was in Watts. Yeah, that was it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, he was shot. That was it. He was he was talking to um, <laughs> uh, Merv Griffith, I think, <laughs> on there. But yeah, so he was shot. Dick Gregory was shot in the uh, Wyatt's Rots. Uh, the Wyatt's Riots. in. Uh, the Watts Riots. Watts Riots, yep. In yeah. 1960, 1965,
0: yeah. Uh, so before we dive further into the activism side of Dick Gregory, let's... Let's uh, take the Wayback Machine, as you say, Scott. You can't
2: say that, dude. No, of, of people, that's copyrighted. You can say the, the comedic, comedic time traveling portal. portal? The comedic yeah. time portal. Comedic oh, time we, portal. We, we,
0: a mental note to us, uh, let's copyright in that term. So if other people use it, we could sue them.
2: Let's say comedy Let's say comedy time portal.
0: Yeah, uh, copywritten yeah. by uh, Comedy History 101. Let's dive into the Dick Gregory origin story. Um, He's originally from St. Louis. He was born in St. Louis in 1932. He grew up, he had a single mom. They had five siblings. I believe his dad, I think his name was Presley,
2: left the family. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how I remember. Uh, Left the family early. Um, His mom had to work, you know, long hours doing menial jobs. He began... Developing his comedy skill, as as most comedians do, to defuse bullies.
2: One time he was actually um, beaten during a re- racial incident when he was nine years old. When he was shining shoes and he got accused of touching a white woman's ankle.
0: Can, can I just say our country is just so <laughs> fucked let's
2: up just, let's just just keep going let's it's, just.
0: it's our, our country <laughs> <There's all. laughs> has always dude. been fucked up it's still dude. fucked up
2: dude Gr- Dick Gregory's only nine let Let's we got a long way to go
0: it's not so much about Dick Gregory it's just so yep. much about what
2: F- fucked up things
0: brought Dick Gregory into comedy uh which we'll get to later, that he was, you know, the first African American comedian to play uh, white clubs. You know, that mm-hmm. that was that was a that was a barrier that had to be crossed. So, anyways, he's a pretty amazing guy because he was a good student, but also really great at athletics, where he mm-hmm. actually earned a track scholarship to Southern Illinois university and not only was on the track team but he also set school records for the half mile and the mile and he was captain of the team and he was also you know class president in high school
2: yeah he um but the uh, he found the small reminders of the in- inequality that he faced at college kind of one of his um, his one of his eye openers he said uh, i had been fighting poverty but now i was fighting being a negro but the place, the place, Scott, the place where yes.
0: Dick Gregory found his comedy calling. Should I give you a hint? It's a um, place where <laughs> certain orange fuck pants didn't go because of bone spurs.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, would that be the military, Harmon? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he exactly. he did he did go to a military school. Let's let's keep that in mind. Where he loved it. No, orange fuck face.
0: Oh, orange fuck face went to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where Mm. he loved it.
2: Yeah, he loved being in military school. But
0: Dick Gregory, uh, who didn't have bone spurs, in fact, set track records. He was drafted into the U.S. Army in 1954. And on the urging of a commanding officer, started performing comedy in Army talent shows.
2: Yeah, you know, that's that's pretty interesting. That's actually... um, there's always, because that's kind of the same in the Bill Hicks, he wasn't in the army, but also the teacher, like in order, if you'll listen to back to our Bill Hicks episode, you know, because Bill Hicks was just so kind of hyper, like the teacher mm-hmm. wound up giving him like a few minutes at the start of the day to like oh, really? tell tell Jack jokes in front of the, the school. And that kind of, that's like a, this this motif that kind of pops up in a lot of these where I can't remember who was the other the other comedian. I'll probably come back to it later. Um, but there was another comedian. If, yeah, 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 yeah. I
0: have one if uh, if you can't think of the other. What do you one. got? What do you got? Um, Steve Coogan.
2: Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Steve Coogan would say because <laughs> like Steve Coogan started sort of like doing impressions. That was his foray into comedy. And when he was like a school kid, uh, he wasn't a great student though. I think his dad. Worked for, was an engineer at IBM or something Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, Or maybe even like something like Xerox, maybe even like older school computer-ish thing. So the teacher would allow Steve Coogan to open like the class with doing impressions of the other teacher's. (laughs) in the school.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a whole other episode. Everybody. That's a whole other episode, everybody. Yeah, we'll come back to that. And a whole um, other yeah.
0: episode on yeah. uh, this is also um, comedians that got their start in the military.
2: Yeah, oh definitely. Yeah, I can't remember who the other guy. We'll, we'll come back to it. It was it was somebody we've done, but it was the same dude. Basically basically his one of his commanding officers gave him time to go do stand up just to, you know, get it out of the way. Much like Mr. Gregory to things back to bring things back full circle.
0: Yeah, here, here. And so, again, he was from St. Louis originally, but when he was discharged from the Army, he moved to Chicago and would perform at night and work at the post office during the day.
2: Yeah, that was in... Uh, and there, while well, there, he performed, like, a lot of the uh, black-owned clubs, the um, part of the Chitlin circuit, as they used to call it back in the day, where, you know, he performed for mostly black audiences.
0: Both we've talked about in our history of... Um, Party records, which uh, there was, you know, essentially because how horrible our country's history is. There was just like a whole circuit uh, strictly for African-American comedians because that was they were not allowed to perform in the white clubs. And also on the history of Moms Mabley.
2: Yeah. I mean, here's a good quote from Gregory about that. And he's saying, when I started, a black comic couldn't work a white nightclub. You could sing, you could dance, but you couldn't stand flat-footed and talk. Th- then the system would know how brilliant black folks were.
0: I mean, again, you know, this, it was like okay to be a singer, like a Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, performing at the white clubs, but right. if you were you an tried to African-American and comedian mm-hmm. speaking your mind about the politics <laughs> of the day that wasn't gonna go
1: over. no
2: oh no Mm-mm.
0: of course now don't get me wrong now
1: we're doing all right now at the rate we're going 10 years from now you might have to be my color to get a job <laughs>
2: you know,
1: i mean now don't get me wrong i wouldn't mind paying my income tax if i knew it was going to a friendly country
0: <laughs> so he he came up like the when he was coming up uh, you know kind of in the black uh, Club circuit. He was along with comedians who we first. We have to do one on Nipsey Russell.
2: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Nipsey Russell. Um, and get ready to go, uh, Bill Cosby. Uh, okay. Uh. Uh, and of course, who is the star of the movie, the Mario Van Peeble movie, Watermelon Man, Godfrey Cambridge.
2: Godfrey Cambridge. Yeah, exactly. Did you
0: have you seen Watermelon Man?
2: I might have seen parts of it. I think my favorite kind of movie from that era is the one that um, Robert Downey Jr.'s dad did, uh, Putney Swope.
0: What was it
2: called? It's called Putney Swope. It's about oh, what uh, was that about? Uh, it's about uh, uh, advertising agency. <laughs> I mean, the first scene's kind of funny because it's like all these white guys in this room and one black guy, and it's an advertising agency, and they're all trying to determine who's going to be the next head of the advertising Advertising agency, so I think a a lot everybody winds up voting for the black guy because they don't think anybody else will vote for him, so he winds Mm -hmm. up winning. So he winds up becoming the president of the ad agency, and then it's just all about like you know parodies of ads and stuff like that, and and it's just yeah, it's like super crazy '60s kind of weirdness. Yeah, that's the
0: thing with Watermelon Man. I believe that's early '70s, Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like almost like a Eddie Murphy would be influenced by it where Godfrey Cambridge, I don't, I've only seen the trailer and I'm going to check out the whole movie. Um, he plays Godfrey Cambridge and makeup is like a, a white businessman. And one morning, uh, you know, and he's just like horrible to people and he's just kind of racist. But one morning he wakes up and he's Godfrey Cambridge.
2: Oh man. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, right. and then comedy hijinks ensued. Yes, but for uh, for Dick Gregory, part of his sort of comedy uh, timing and prowess was he was considered sort of like a Mort Saul type. So part of his early act was he was like Mort Saul where he would hold up like the newspaper headlines of the day. You know, about ten times a week, I have
1: fellas walk up and ask me the same question. Hey, Greg, how come they're not sending white troops to the Congo? Now, how I know. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know my social security number. But if we quit worrying so much and stop and think, you can figure out these questions for yourself. Everyone knows darn good and well why they're not sending white troops to the Congo. War brides.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a a satirist.
0: Yeah, so Gregory was sometimes called the Black Moored Saul, where in turn um, Gregory referred to Saul as the White (laughs) Dick Gregory. Exactly. (laughs) And his comedy style was like, you know, it was very sophisticated, yet quirky and sort of like uh, the Bob Newhart variety. He had like great jokes about the politics of the day, such as like segregation is not a bad thing. Have you ever heard of a collision where the people in the back of the bus got hurt?
3: I had a thing where i people where they're from, Alabama. You know, see, I spent 20 years down there one day and they just go crazy. You can just hear the laugh, the, the giggling. When you can go past laughing and get the giggling, man, that's when you're cooking. I,
0: I, he also put out, he had a couple of comedy albums, the 1961 album In Living Black and White, and the 1962 album Dick Gregory Talks Turkey.
2: But his harm and his biggest break would have come kind of around the same year, in 1961, when Gregory was working at the black-owned Robert Show Bar in Chicago, when he was spotted by none other than Mr. Bunny himself, Hugh Hefner.
0: Oh, so first of all, on, on that, not only was Gregory working at the Black-owned Robert's uh, Robert Show Bar in Chicago, but he was, early on his career, he was made the Master of Ceremonies at the club. So he was like the house MC.
2: Yeah, so um, uh, Hugh saw him one night, and uh, he needed a... He needed someone to pro- he needed someone to replace um, one of his other performers, a uh, professor Irwin Corey, who I've heard of. And I've yeah, never- what do you know of him? I, mean, that's I like don't one know things. much. He was kind of yeah. a crazy character dude, but like, uh, yeah. well, definitely that's a- another episode down the line. Um, so Hefter hired Gregory to play for. Just, it was supposed to be just be one night. It was gonna be fifty bucks for uh, one night, and um, they they just loved him. And then so it wound up being. Um, turned that one night turned into three weeks, which then turned into three years. So he, he that's when he first kinda of got discovered. He had a profile on Time magazine. You know, his album came out that year. Um and he's really he really hit the big time, as they said in Time at the day. Uh New York uh Dick Gregory, twenty eight, has become the first Negro comedian to make his way into the nightclub big time. Hugh Hefner
3: had the most prestigious club in the world because of his book. When I worked there, it wasn't but one Playboy club in the whole world. But people came in from all over the world because it was a status symbol. To have a key to the Playboy club is like having a Mercedes now. And people came in from all over. I mean, it become a tourist attraction for Chicago. And so uh, when I get called down there to say $50 for that one night, so I'm thinking, If I was working seven nights a week, had no idea I would be one day. I said, it's 50. I didn't know it was that much money in the world. $50 a night times seven. So I go down there. And I'm not thinking of anything. I didn't know at the time that a Negro is not permitted to work a white nightclub. That's in all of America. And I remember not knowing that. I used to practice, what do you do when some white person... Yell something negative out or embarrass you. And so I used to practice with my wife, but it didn't work because she was too nice and kind. And then one day I did something and she said something to me, and I heard that tone. I said, That's the tone I want. That's the tone.
0: Yeah, so that, I mean, again, that's crazy. Like that clip we showed or we heard up front, which was filmed at the Hungry Eye in San Francisco which we talked about on our history of the purple onion in San Francisco, that famous legendary club mm-hmm. was the cutaway shots of Dick Gregory on stage. And then you, it cuts away to the audience and it's just, just crowd of leave it to beaver dad type white people laughing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And that's,
0: that's the whole kind of segregated type of audience and, and club. Cause you know, he was, he, 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 Broke sort of the barrier of working, as he said, flat-footed on stage for white audiences.
2: Yeah, but he, he kind of started hitting the big time and uh, pretty making pretty good money. And then the uh, future came calling. Yeah, so The Tonight Show.
0: Okay, so for our listeners out there, at one time, The Tonight Show <laughs> was not hosted by Jimmy Fallon.
2: Uh, or or Johnny Carson for... for or Jay Leno. For, or, or Jay Leno. Oh my god. Or Steve Allen. <laughs> or Steve Allen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, no. So in the early 60s, uh, and I guess we, we should probably do an episode on this, is the Tide Show was hosted by one Jack Parr. So because of his performances at um, the Playboy Club, uh, the producers of Jack Parr came came a-knockin', and they asked Dick Gregory to be on the show. What was his response to Scott?
2: Well, Harmon, you know, believe it or not, Mr. Gregory said no.
0: And why was that?
2: You know why, Harmon? Because he wanted to come sit on the couch. Because usually, most uh, black performers, they would have come out, they would, they would just do their set, and then they would leave. Um, but in this case, Gregory wanted to actually sit down on the couch with the host, Jack Parr, and have, have a conversation. You know, what normal things happen on talk shows.
0: Yeah, so that... Okay, so let's unpack that for a moment. <laughs> At one time in our country's history, that was a thing.
2: Yes, that was that was, that was indeed a thing.
0: So he turned down the... Tonight Show initially because they wouldn't let him sit on the couch and have panel, as we call it today.
2: And that that was in 1962.
0: Yeah, so eventually, what happened when he eventually did get to be on the Jack Parr show and did get to sit down and do panel with Jack Parr?
2: Well, uh, this is in uh, Mr. Gregory's words, this is exactly what happened. I went in there and I sat on the couch talking about my children So many people called the switchboard at NBC in New York that the circuits blew out. Andy said thousands of letters came in and folks were saying, I didn't know black children or white children were the same. Yeah. Yeah. 1962.
3: I I was honest. I wasn't disrespectful. I wasn't mean. I wasn't bitter. And from that, Hefner brought me back for two weeks. That was the first time in the history had a Negro comedian have been booked in a white nightclub?
0: But because of the Tonight Show, um, Dick Gregory his salary jumped from $250 for seven nights of work. I believe he was getting what, like $50 a night. Yeah, or, at the Playboy oh, Club with yeah. three shows a night um, at the mm-hmm. Playboy Club, he jumped to $5,000 a night. Yeah. And within the next year and a half he made $3.9 million.
2: Yeah, that's not too too shabby.
0: In in early 1960s money. Yeah. But, you know, and again, uh, we talked about this and we're going to do an entire episode on um, the history of early Richard Pryor. The thing about early Richard Pryor was he was doing almost as well as Dick Gregory. You know, he was on he had Sullivan's show and he was just like a, a regular fixture on TV and was opening for Vegas, but he felt like his material he was selling his material short. Where Dick Gregory always it was always about politics mm-hmm. were involved yeah. with his his comedy.
2: Yeah, so then like that around the same time we're talking about sixty four, sixty three, sixty four, sixty-five, he starts getting involved with all these uh, civil rights causes. Like for example, we mentioned, uh, you mentioned that uh, he became friends with Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Uh, he was speaking at a uh, voter registration ra- rally in Jackson, Mississippi with Medgar Evers. He delivered food to the NAACP offices. He did march in Selma, Alabama. And then as we mentioned before, he got shot while he was trying to keep the peace uh, during the 1965 Watts riots. So that he, he Dick was not only, you know, on stage talking about equality, but he was out there doing something about it, too.
0: Yeah, and at the same time, he was doing, like, great jokes on stage where, you know, just talking about, you know, travels in the South, like he, going into a restaurant where uh, the waitress would say, we don't serve colored people here, and I said, that's all right, I don't eat colored people, or... Like he went into this other restaurant in the south, and the KKK was there. He said, "Anything you do to that chicken, we're gonna do to you. We're yeah. gonna do to you." So I put down my knife and fork. I picked up that chicken, and I kissed its ass and said, "Line up,
2: boys." Yeah, that was in there.
0: So because of his success on the Tonight Show and at the Playboy Club, he also put out a couple of popular albums. Like I said, in 1961, he put out the album *In Living Black and White*. In 1962, he put out *Dick Gregory Talks Turkey*. He also put out a profound 1964 autobiography titled *Something I Won't Say <laughs> Out Loud*.
2: I mean but, you can you can you can say the N word.
0: Well, okay, so it, it was called that. So first of all, I'll tell you what the book is about: his impoverished childhood and dealing with racism growing up and he wrote in the foreword that he told his mom wherever you are if you ever hear the word fill in the n-word again remember they're advertising my book which is pretty edgy in in 1964 terms so again in in later years so uh, spoiler alert Dick Gregory died in 2017 that in later years he deferred. He decried, decreed the use of the euphemism term N-word because he said you wouldn't have a swastika be a different symbol because you need to know what it means or the origins of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, which is in India. But the,
0: <laughs> the racist uh, yeah. impact of it. Yeah. So, Scott, next week we will come back and we will cover... The activism side of Dick Gregory, which is, again, like you knew him as an activist, you didn't really know him as a stand-up comedian, but uh, how long did Dick Gregory perform as a comedian?
2: Well, of course, you know at the end of his life, he was just pouring again. But around 1973, or it was in 1973, uh, Gregory stopped performing in clubs. He says because uh, by this time he was a vegetarian and he was losing weight, and he he said uh, he wasn't performing in clubs because smoking and drinking were allowed. But you know, part of it could be because he was kind of probably starting to lose some work because of all of the activism he was doing. You know, at that point he was uh, very active in the. Um, activism scene so it'd be more than two two decades before we return to the stage
0: yeah and it's so funny like that clip we saw up front and the clip where he was on the Mike Wallace uh, TV show he kind of gave off a vibe of uh, Dave Chappelle because in and again different era while he's doing stand up he's also chain smoking at the same time
2: yeah <laughs> yeah, that's, I forgot, I forgot to mention that
0: Yeah, so, and again, on Chappelle's special, he's the only comedian in modern history that you see also just chain-smoking his whole set. So, (laughs) again, it's like, and almost he has sort of, or Chappelle almost has like a Dick Gregory-esque sort of style with both kind of in timing in certain parts and, uh, you know, topics.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: And again, we will be back next week with part two of the history of Dick Gregory. And until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye,
2: everybody
0: so
1: Good thing about doing comedy in Russia have captured the audience. You're stupid. Stupid.
3: Comedy History 101